that you're born an Italian If you want your life to be great See that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great Hey there, Paisani. Welcome back to another episode of the Italian-American Podcast. I'm John Viola with my partner in crime, the Italian-American Wikipedia himself, Mr. Patrick O'Boyle. Spring has sprung. I have allergies for the first time in my life, so you'll hear a very different version of my voice. That's what happens when you move to the country, Johnny boy. Oh, my gosh. I had no idea. I didn't know this was... I've ever thought people complained about allergies. I thought they were crazy. You should have listened to your wife and... And ingested the I know. exhaust-laden air of Brooklyn. Yeah, paid the parking tickets. I know, I know. Get done the elevator, the shopping cart, walking the groceries home, all the charms of city life. I'm I'm glad she doesn't listen because I can't complain about the suburbs if she listens. But yeah, man, I'm I'm dying right now. I feel like I have my head in a fishbowl. But needless to say, I spent a lot of time in the city this week. Uh, you and I were back and forth. I feel like it was. Sort of like Italian-American week in New York this week because the NIAF gala. Every week is our Italian-American week. <laughs> That's very true. Every but... week, 52 weeks of the year is Italian-American week. But man, did I come across a lot of people. Because we're sick people. Normal people, don't. they have normal lives. That's very true. We don't deserve any pity. We, we, we inflict this on ourselves. <laughs> but I mean, I think about it. I, I saw the great Umberto Mucci. Uh, the one and only Mariana Gatto from the Maritime American Museum in L.A. I saw so many friends from Italy that I haven't seen in years because of COVID, uh, you know, people that I've worked with for a decade plus. We went to see Anthony Tambori and Joe Shore at the Calandra Institute. We had dinner at the uh, twice at the Columbus Club. Got to see all the people from the Orders of Merit. I mean, really, I saw half the NIAF board there. It was just uh, a very packed couple of days intense intense yeah yeah very intense but good productive a lot of good ideas generated out of it you think so yeah a lot of people came to see the store which was exciting you gotta you gotta clarify for people they think it's up and running no it's a work in progress no it's i mean yeah let me make clear to people that's true because a lot of people have asked me like what's going on and i have people down there like well when are you opening you know the, the space we bought which is inside of the building, which also houses the Italian American Museum of New York, or will will house the Italian American Museum of New York. I think they're going to open in the fall. I believe that's what they they say now. Um, it's a concrete box. It has nothing. It has one outlet right now. Um, everything is sort of uh, empty construction. And when we got it, we jumped right away in with all the architects and designers, and uh, we are gearing up to break ground pretty soon but it's a it's a long process anything you, you build in new york is a long process but this one in particular is going to be a long process because we're putting so many unique experiences into it it's going to be really interactive space it's going to have obviously a soundproof uh, state-of-the-art studio in the windows on the corner but then the retail space is going to have not just products from italy and the united states and exclusive products from all of our designs and uh, our relationships in Italy, you know, unique imports, but also a lot of interactive stuff, places you could record your memories, places where you can download uh, rare music or audio, places where you can interact with different uh, resources that we've been able to put together. And even, you know, uh, we're going to do a custom t-shirt bar where you can print on demand a a t-shirt to your design using some of our designs and things. Uh, I think it's just going to be like, it's Disney World. Where are you going to fit all this stuff? That's what we're working on now, right? We're building. The space is not that big. It's 2,500 square feet. You know, it's yeah, big. But you're going to have elephants in there and, <laughs> you and know trapeze me. and I rhinos know. and Do you know circus. What I, and... You know what I'm trying to fit in that I can't? You know the three-wheel ape, like the Italian delivery ape? You'll find a way. I'm trying so desperately. You'll find because, a way. Yeah, maybe I'll hang it from you. the ceiling or something. I so badly want it in there. Why don't you use that as a delivery service? Three wheel. That would be great. No, because I want to start a company. I was thinking out of there of empty Italian water bottles. What? Because how many Italian people, you know, they open up like a bottle of Italian uh, bottled water, mineral water. And then when company comes over, they refill it and they think the company never realizes the difference. (laughs) So you want to sell just the bottles? Bottles of like very expensive wines. And then they could put like, you know. Homemade wine. Nine, homemade wine. Oh, my wine is so cool to drink. 
No, but really, you could have all different, like, Barolos, very expensive Barolos, and you put $9. <laughs> That's a very Italian move. I know people who do that. Recycled Sasakaya bottles? empty yeah. water bottles. <laughs> of course. And they fill it up with tap water, and they come in from the kitchen, they go into the dining room, and they put the opened Italian bottled water on the table, and they try to pass it off as the real mineral water from Italy, but it's really from the tap. Somebody did that the other day. That's why Soda Stream. Soda Stream was invented to make homemade seltzer, so you could yeah. put it in an empty Pellegrino bottle. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> That's really That was true. really why that was done. That would be a real Italian store. I'm convinced some restaurant did that to me the other day because I ordered a bottle of water. I think when you and I went out for, for drinks, we went to the what, – what hotel did you take us to? We went. Oh, the Algonquin. Algonquin. I said bottle of still water. They brought it. They opened it. But then they kept refilling it. Did you notice that? There was always no, water on the table. I mean, it's New York now. That's probably encouraged. Yeah, probably. That's kind of like don't drink bottled water. Drink water. Yeah. I'm sure it was on the bill. From, but though, 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 I will always tell you, the only thing I give New York over New Jersey is you do have outstanding tap water. Best water in the country. You do have good water. I mean, that's it, it starts and ends there. Yeah, we got the best water. We do. Do you read uh, Ray Garini's Italian Enclave posts? Sometimes, yeah. Oh, uh, another another um, a pasta store closed in Queens that just went up. Yeah, today. I saw that. Yeah, and you know, I had that conversation with this guy, and I actually had that conversation with another guy. I uh, I was in Brooklyn for a few hours. I, you know, I'm trying to source as much authentic historical stuff as I can for the new store, and. Uh, I was just well, telling for you, what... Johnny boy. <laughs> and for me. Is that well, what you yeah. tell your wife? <laughs> well, we yes, all know how I much did. your wife loves when you go treasure shopping. Yes. I've seen the look on Nicole's face when you come home with bounty that you've gathered from <laughs> she's antique not happy. stores no. and garbage cans. No, she's not happy. But that's what I did. I actually, and believe it or not, it's sitting in the in the foyer right now. I bought a an old display shelf from Stella Doro that they used to sell the cookies in. And uh, beautiful old wooden one, and I'm going to put it in the store. But right now, and obviously the store is not going to be done for a while, so it's sitting in my in my hallway. Uh, and Nicole is like, "When is this thing going to get moved?" I said, "But it's for the store, you know. I can't, I can't yeah, help." Yeah, thank it. you. That that's that's what's really behind the store. People don't realize it's your way. It's your way to to uh, bamboozle Nicole because she doesn't listen. She has no idea. I mean, you could you could you could say anything here. She'll never find out. But that's like, oh, what? Why? Why is this in my living room? Well, it's not for me. And I bet you probably sometimes blame it on me. Well, I have all your books. By that's the way. real. That's not for me. That's for Pat in the hallway. I do have. No, you that, blame stuff on me better than I blame Pat's it on you. Books. I'm sorry. I said you blame stuff on me for all the more. time. But I'm yeah. very sophisticated in the way I blame it on. I don't. I credit it to you, and everybody leaves it alone. <laughs> John, John gave you can't touch that. John gave me those books. <laughs> The best was the How's cigarette carousels. Yeah, well, we're going to save that. We're saving that for the sign off. The last, the last podcast. <laughs> it's like when when uh, Jim, what was um, Johnny Carson had that last episode. And yeah, that we'll save the we'll save the cigarette carousels for that. That's too good of a story. That is a great story. Not to, just to let loose on a on a casual <laughs> on a casual conversation. Yeah, it's very true. Yeah, speaking of casual Wednesday, you know, one of the uh, in in all of the meetings. Uh, that, that we had or all the interactions that we had over the last couple of days, everybody kept bringing up the Italian American future leaders conference that we did in January. And, uh, you know, we're gearing up to actually start doing some regional ones. Uh, we'll have more information on that soon, but obviously the next one in January, 2024, we'll be back in Florida year two. And uh, I think it's safe to say we've got a lot of interest in people coming out. So make sure to, Take a peek at our social media or the Italian American Future Leader social media. There should be uh, opportunities to sign up for more information if you want to come. But out of that conference, we met some of the most amazing young Italian Americans, active young Italian Americans that we've ever interacted with. I know, Pat, you said it's the best birthday gift you ever had. Uh, we did it on your yeah, birthday. Yeah, it's absolutely weekend. true. That's yeah. the greatest birthday gift is to see the future. Yeah. And, and, because the problem about getting old is, like, you know, who's going to who's going to keep this torch going? And we got so many torchbearers. Yeah, we sure do. And I, I just can't wait for next year because I think a lot of those alumni are going to come back, uh, at least from what they expressed, their desire is to come back. And we're going to have a whole new class of participants. So I'm so buoyed by the people we interacted with and 
you know, we've kept in touch with a lot of them and uh, tried to be frequent about it. And one of those participants, one of the alumni from IAFL 23 is Joe Elia, uh, Joseph Elia, who was uh, a participant there who you're going to meet in just a minute. He's going to come on to tell us about a really fascinating piece of family history that he came across and one that has uh, for years been kind of like my historical white whale. I'd like to gather as much information as I can on this little chapter. We've talked about it briefly in, in other episodes. And, and to add to the conversation, we've also invited back one of our more popular guests. His episodes always do extremely well. Uh, and he's a friend of ours, the uh, official historian. Half our ratings. Our numbers come from Lou. <laughs> he's, he's a People big boost. He's yeah. a rock star. You are Lou the rock star. He is the official historian of the Italian American podcast, uh, Mr. Lou Mendelik, coming in from Palermo, Sicily. So, uh, Lou, welcome back. And Joe, welcome for the first time to the Italian American podcast. We're really excited to share your family story. Great to be on. Thank you so much for having me. Joe, introduce yourself to the audience. Tell them where you're from and where your family's from in Italy and how you got to the IAFL. Yes, so my name is Joe Leah Jr. I'm from Richmond, Virginia, uh, but I was born in New York, and my family is originally from Calabria, and a region that the town is now part of Lazio, but it's a town called Itri. And uh, I was introduced to the conference um, through Filitalia International. I've recently started a Filitalia chapter here in Richmond, and uh, I had the great honor of attending the conference, which was really a great experience. I, I, I came away very very encouraged, excited, and it, it made me a better Italian-American. Well, that's the goal. Uh, you know, we, we loved having you there, and I love getting representation from places like Richmond. Uh, tell us a little bit briefly before we get into the story uh, of your family, the kind of Italian-American ecosystem in Richmond. You know, it, it, it's small, but it's a very tight-knit community. Um, there was a large group of relatively large group of Italian-Americans that immigrated from Italy to Richmond in the 1880s. They were mostly from the Lucca area, so northern Tuscany, a little bit of Liguria. Uh, but since the 1950s or 60s, Richmond has been really growing with the suburb suburbanization. So you have a lot of folks from New York and New Jersey who've come down, who've brought their Calabres and Sicilian heritage as well. We always bolster uh, an Italian neighborhood when you when you get the New Yorkers and the New Jersey uh, people down. That's for sure. Like the parsley and the salad, as they say. Uh, obviously, Joe, you know, coming from New York, your, your family's history, but living in Richmond, uh, historically the capital of the South, if you will. The other South. What do you mean? Well, you said oh, the yes. South. The American South. American, yes. I'm yeah. sorry. Yes. <laughs> Naples is uh, Naples, the capital of uh, of the of the Italian South, of course. Um and by the way, as we record this, Naples is about a week away from winning the Scudetto for the first time in 33 years. So that may be an emergency episode at some point because uh, it's it's an exciting time as a Southern soccer fan. But uh, yeah, Richmond being for a long time the capital of, this, of the Confederacy during the Civil War. But the presence of Italian-Americans in the Civil War is a topic we come back to a lot. And obviously, you know, many, many people, if you're if you're listeners for a long time, you've heard our four-part history of Italians in America where we address that period. And uh, we've done episodes uh, specifically on Italian-Americans in the Union Army. and uh, But the Confederacy is oftentimes overlooked. And we have hinted around about a contingent of bourbon soldiers that were brought over to serve in the Confederate forces in Louisiana. And it's become, uh, for me, like I said, a really uh, a passion piece because a unique story and one that often gets overlooked and as i understand it and this came to me through pat but joe you and pat had a conversation you found out that one of your antecedents one of your ancestors was amongst those prisoners of war that came over is that correct we believe so and that's what the family legend tells us um so i'll start off by saying i'm not a professional historian but it is my passion and it's uh, become a lifelong project of mine to capture as much oral family history as I can and to put it in context to the time periods I read about. So my paternal lineage is the Italian side of my family. Um, my grandfather's last name was Aaliyah. They were from Calabria. And my grandmother's last name is Cucinardi, and they came from Etri. 
Uh, and as I mentioned, now part of Lazio, but at the time of unification, a part of the kingdom of the two Sicilies. So um, my grandmother, Carol, she was born in 1939 outside New York City. And her paternal grandfather was Pietro Tucinardi. He was born in the 1890s in Etri. His family moved back and forth a few times, but he made his life in New York. Um, he made his living as a bartender near the polo grounds, actually. So he was a big Giants turns Met fan. But uh, the reason I bring him up is because he lived until 1976. Uh, my father was born in 1963, and they were lucky enough to get to know each other and become rather close. And uh, as my father developed an interest in history at a young age, they would talk about the family history. And, uh, you know, this grandfather was there from here. This cousin did that, this and that. But there was a story he told my father on more than one occasion about a great uncle that really stood out. Um, he referred to him as his grandmother's brother and claimed he went missing for a time and then permanently as they lost all communication. Um, he mentioned how this uncle served for the Bourbons during the Italian unification and ended up as a prisoner. Uh, the family didn't hear from him until a few years later when they received a letter from New Orleans. Unfortunately, that letter has been lost to history. But uh, after that, all communication was lost. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now, fast forward to the early 2000s. In between then, my father went to the University of Virginia and eventually moved our family to nearby Richmond. And uh, as you, you, you touched on, you know, living in this region of the country, you can easily develop an interest in American history, especially for the Civil War. And as we studied the local history, visited the local battlefields, we wondered, did we have any ancestors who fought? Um, we couldn't find any ties to the Union's Garibaldi Guards. You know, most of our folks came in the 1890s and 1920s anyway. And uh, yeah, as you mentioned, not many Italians fought for the Confederacy. I, I do know of two generals who claimed some Italian lineage, General Beauregard and Taliaferro, but they really were the exception. Um, however, thanks to the internet <laughs> and our friends in the local Civil War buff community, we came across this little known story and when Pat mentioned he knew about it, like my, my eyes lit up. I never, I didn't know other folks knew about it, but um, there were bourbon POWs who fought for the Kingdom of the Two Sicilies, found themselves in New Orleans, and ended up fighting in various capacities for the Confederacy. Um, we personally can't prove it yet. Yet, I'm working on it, but uh, I must say the stories do line up interestingly. Um, it's all oral history and a little conjecture where as I said, we're not professional historians, but as the letter was sent from New Orleans, I'm inclined to think if he actually did serve, it would have been for the 6th Regiment, um, not to be confused with the 6th Louisiana Infantry of Wheat's Tigers. Uh, these guys, the 6th Regiment, stayed in New Orleans in a rear guard security type role, but they didn't serve that long as the regiment disbanded after the fall of New Orleans in 1862. But yes, that, that's our, our story, a neat little piece of family folklore, and uh, I'm glad you guys are interested in talking about it, and I'd love to learn more and find out ways I can study that time period better. It's really a fascinating topic to me, and you mentioned Wheat's Tigers. So the, the way I understand it for the audience, the way I've learned it through whatever research I can do, and uh, there is apparently more scholarship on it in the Italian language than there is in English, which... Is a little bit uh, of a slow slog for me, but I've tried to track down as much of this stuff as I can. And as I say, we, we've talked about this a bit in our archives. So there's some other episodes where we flesh this historical chapter out. But as I understood it, this Chatham Huber Wheat was a soldier for hire who fought with Garibaldi in some of his campaigns around the world in South America. He was sort of a, a Southern gentleman adventurer. And when Garibaldi... Uh, made the decision to leave northern Italy and invade 
Sicily and then eventually the mainland, we decided to go with him. Um, the history sort of line up where Italian unification draws to its close, at least the first chapter, uh, at the same time as the civil war is breaking out in the United States. So Wheat goes to Garibaldi. He's uh, part of Garibaldi's invasion forces or in or around in support, apparently, in the early days. But then he receives a letter calling him back to the South to serve, and he decides to uh, form his own regiment, as many of these gentlemen, soldiers of, for hire, would have back then. And he writes to Garibaldi and asks him if he has any soldiers he could send in support. Garibaldi's in the closing stages of his military campaigns, but he decides that he can spare a contingent of bourbon prisoners of war that he has uh, under his responsibility, puts them on two ships and sends them over to New Orleans where they're kind of unloaded, you know, still in their bourbon uniforms, and they're conscripted right into this force that is tasked with defending and keeping order in the city of New Orleans, uh, which quickly thereafter falls to Union forces. So many of them sort of scatter into the wind. Some stay in service, some return to Italy, some just continue on in the United States after the war. And I know there is a uh, another amateur historian out of New Jersey uh, who's been putting together resources as best he can to try to create a catalog of all these guys, their names, and what happened to them. And obviously, there's a lot of uh, significant mysteries in there because they were sort of just released into the wild. Um, Lou, you're our official podcast historian. I know we've sort of given you some time to think about this chapter. What do you know about this that you can add to the conversation? Um, a few little things. First of all, I'd like to acknowledge about, okay, about 10 years ago, I was in New York with our friend Carl Morelli, of all people, and a couple other guys, and um, our late friend and confrere, Scott McMillan, uh, who uh, passed away a few years ago, but he was actually considering doing a documentary on this, okay? Wow. And he was gathering information, which may have kind of died with him. Now, Scott worked in um, in movies and stuff, and incidentally, from for New Yorkers, was kind of interesting. Back in the late 70s, he was a stage manager for the first couple seasons of Saturday Night Live with John Belushi and those guys. Anyway, um, he was working on this, and at that time, we were keeping it under wraps because nobody owns history and he was concerned that some, of somebody else stealing the idea and he wanted to sell it to the history channel. So that's just, just, just to set the stage a little bit on that. That's where some of my information actually comes from him. Okay. Uh, okay. The American civil war officially started in April of 1861. That was a couple months after the official end of the unification war in Italy, which was actually 14, the 14th of February, 1861 with the fall of Gaeta. Um, now what happened is, um, a number of officers and, uh, you know, let's say people from, you know, people in the South, soldiers that did not want to necessarily embrace the new regime, uh, the unification, um, and including a few guys who'd been, they were regarded as brigands because they were still at large. When some of these people were arrested, they were sent to a place called Finistrelle, which is a, on a mountain up in Piedmont in the Alps, uh, which at one point had 300 prisoners and they were there for years. Okay. So what Garibaldi did was a, a more humane approach to say to these, some of these people, okay, you're going to go to the United States and we don't care. Now, what's funny about this, maybe not funny, this is a point that has to be kind of brought up. I don't know if, if this is relevant, but as we, as we tape this, um, this is uh, liberation day in Italy. It's the 25th of uh, April. Okay. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Um, and that's why, you know, that a lot of stuff is closed and people, it's, it's a picnic day. Nobody really thinks about the liberation that much. They think about going on a picnic. Um, so the thing is that um, Italy, uh, when it comes to all of these things, I won't dwell on this, but just to say that in Italy, there's um, there's really, you know, the official history, the, the way it's written in Italy is a little bit fickle. Like, for example, today, in all of the observances and everything, and there's one in Palermo that I posted on, on my Instagram today, the United States, Canada, and the UK, and Australia, these troops will, that have, we've got cemeteries in Italy, they will not even be mentioned, okay? It's, it's as if the Italians just liberated Italy, you know, themselves, you know, the parts, a few partisans. Okay. So just to give you an idea of how sometimes the history gets, um, gets a little bit shoved aside in the American sphere. There's another interesting point. Understandably, uh, most people look at the Confederate States of America and they say, okay, there was slavery and so on and so forth. I would like to make a point here. Um, this, by the same token that not every Italian who was perhaps drafted and fought for Italy in the second world war was a fascist. 
not everybody who fought for the Confederacy was a slaveholder or from a slaveholding family or believed in anything to do with slavery. In many cases, it was simply people whose families lived there. They feared an invasion from people from the northern part of the country, and they defended what they viewed as their homes. Many of these people had nothing to do with slavery. Another point, uh, and this comes up because you look at the the people who had um, some of Garibaldi's um, actual sympathizers, many of whom were from New York. They were Italians, in some cases, already living in the United States. They joined some of Garibaldi's former generals, okay, for example, okay, uh, Luigi Palma is one of the uh, the best known of those people. So they weren't actually coming over directly from Italy. Going into the, the first part of the Civil War, uh, Abraham Lincoln in particular made the point he didn't want the British, for example, or the French or anybody getting involved in this war. They sent out signals to say, stay, stay out of it, it's between us. Um, so what we get is, obviously, uh, the Union was opposed to slavery. The people in the South uh, initially, uh, the initial uh, question was, as the United States expanded, was there going to be slavery in the new territories? Um, and most people don't know this, but Abraham Lincoln, is be it's believed that Abraham Lincoln would have maintained slavery for a little bit if it would have uh, if it would have ensured the existence of the Union, okay? The other thing is it's become very popular to say that secession, not slavery, was the reason for the, uh, the Civil War. That's kind of a that's kind of a workaround uh, because, yes, immediately it was secession that the, these people could not secede, but the, the underlying issue was slavery. Um, so anyway, when these people came over, the, these these Italians, and, and uh, like Joe says, we don't really have a lot of information. We don't have a really, uh, really co comprehensive list. Um, this was this was the thing. It's not that they believed in slavery or anything like that. They were simply given a chance um, to uh, essentially to survive in, in some way. Uh, to have an existence compared to, compared to let's say, um, a non-existence. And in my book on the King of the Two Sicilies, I do have a long paragraph that talks about this on page 190 that discusses these people going to the United States. Um, oddly enough, I'm not saying this to boast, but not too many people have really written about this. Tell us what you know about these soldiers who came over. Okay, speaking generally, because I, I really can't address one or two specific individuals. Okay, I really can't do that. I don't have the, the information. Um, and unfortunately, as I say, Scott McMillan may have had some of that information. Maybe this gentleman in, in New Jersey. Okay. Um, generally, these were people who had a certain rank. They were literate. Not everybody was literate in those days. These men certainly were, uh, who had served um, mostly in peninsular Italy, probably mostly in Campania uh, in that area, like the Battle of the Volturno and these kinds of things um, in, let's say, uh, mid to late uh, 1860, okay, going into 1861. And they were taken prisoners. A lot of them were what we would now call, uh, you know, junior officers, maybe lieutenants, things like that. So they were basically, I, I think we could say the creme de la creme. They were officers in many cases. They were uh, considered more reliable people. And they had fought very hard for uh, the kingdom of the two Sicilies. So there's a character issue that these, these were pretty solid people. And to give people some context, because I have a, as I've said on some of these episodes, a member of my family who was an officer in the Bourbon Army and ended up going into the mountains and fighting a right. ten, 10 year sort of civil war that is, is titled as brigandage. Just so people understand, when Italy uh, unifies, these Bourbon soldiers and soldiers from all different armies of the pre-unitary states, they're, they're all offered um, roles and placements and commissions in the new Royal Italian Army, correct? Well, many of the the colonels and the generals, many of those people were. So you had all of these people, and like I say, most of them were simply um, disarmed and, and and set loose. Uh, some of the officers were brought into the, uh, well, let's say the Piedmontese army, then in short order, the, the army of the Kingdom of Italy. That's true. So to get to Joe's sort of family ties here, you add the fact that uh, these were mostly men who had served in uh, from Campania, right, in the final stages of the... Mostly that area, right. Peninsula, right. Which, which, which goes with uh, Joe's family lineage of being from Etri and what's now Lazio, but was then the northernmost frontier of the Kingdom of Two Sicilies and uh, what would have been Campania until, I guess, the 20s, correct? 30s, maybe? Late 30s, I think. Yeah, in fact, Etri, yeah, in fact, Etri if you look at a map, it's about midway between Rome and Naples. It's like near Gaeta, so yeah. Okay. That speaks to what Joe was talking about before. 
Joe, you said the last name uh, in your maternal line was Tucinardi. So it's my great-great-grandfather who mentioned his grandmother's brother. His last name was Tucinardi. Um, I must admit, I don't know the Tucinardi lineage that well. I do plan on visiting Itri relatively soon to visit the Comune so I can get some more names. Oh, okay. So that makes sense. So if it was his mother's brother, then it would have there would be a different surname. So yes. you'd have to get... Okay. So we know that Campania makes sense, and Itri would be an, uh, a logical place, particularly where these campaigns were going on. And now we've got to get you, and this is where Pat always comes in, because I know you plan on visiting Itri, but there may be some online resources. I know, Pat, you've got uh, access to a lot of databases out there that have already digitized locally, right? We should we should take a look and see if we could find Itri. Yeah, Italy's hit and miss. Some places did a great job, some didn't. Yeah. But isn't that Italy at the end of the day? Yeah, maybe maybe you can take a look and see what we could find in Etri. I was able to track down as we were talking. I can the database that was put together, and it was by a Sicilian American whose family comes from the island of Ustica, uh, one of the Aeolian islands uh, off of Sicily. And there's a couple of societies in the United States with, uh, I guess they'd say Usticese yeah. citizens who have put together these uh, websites, and one of them. Uh, lists so far what he's found in the 6th Regiment European Brigade, Italian Guards Battalion, 341 men that he's been able to differentiate uh, with their rank and company and a little bit of remark as to maybe whatever information he has. So we have a resource here, and uh, I think it's a great task for us on the podcast and to see if we can't track down the gentleman who compiled this and see if we could dig further. But needless to say, Joe, we're here to help. And so I think if we can see what's digital, if anything, available from E-Tree. That's our first step. And then once we can build that family tree out, see what names correspond and what information exists on them. And, and the, you know, the call goes out to anybody out there in the audience who thinks they might have some relation to one of these gentlemen or um, is curious about it. You know, we, we can certainly work to partner with the USTKZ and see if we can't make these databases more publicly available because, you know, Joe mentioned when when he was describing um, how he got to this family mystery, especially things like the revolution or the civil war. And, you know, for those of us who don't know when our ancestors came over, there's always the interesting question of, do we have uh, some sort of personal attachment to these, these monumental instances in American history that occurred oftentimes before the mass migration. And it's great to be able to connect people. So I think I, Pat, I can speak for both of us when I say we'd love to be, uh, as helpful as possible in helping to solve these mysteries. Really appreciate that. It'll, it'll be a lot of fun. So, Lou, what? Give us the story. So, from what you know, these guys who had come, basically as released POWs as uh, Bourbon soldiers released by the Savoy, who were basically sent out of Dodge and, and sent to New Orleans. So what they basically what they came off the ship and would they would they kind of um what's the not the word conscripted, but bound into service for the Confederacy was they had nowhere else to go, were they military guys that just like being in an army? How did this work out? It's if you look at it from the the modern like twenty first century perspective, it may sound very strange, but they were actually uh, de facto sent over as almost as mercenaries. And uh, there's also another side of this. Um, Garibaldi's people, his friends, uh, Garibaldi himself did not actually fight in the American Civil War, but a, a lot of his people did. And he was, let's say, their behind-the-scenes uh, director, let's say initially their commandant. Um, it's funny in a way because uh, Garibaldi himself uh, had corresponded with Abraham Lincoln's people. And the, the idea, uh, there may have been a thought that, well, uh, the South in the U.S., the Confederacy is going to get defeated. Let's just send these people over there. There's nothing to lose. There, there may have been that type of a thing. I mean, I wasn't there. I don't know precisely what was said or what people were thinking in their heads. But it is a little bit strange, a bit of a contradiction that Garibaldi generally was not supporting the Confederacy. He was he and his people were supporting the Union. OK, so it may have been somebody saying that's a lost cause. Just send them down there. Yeah, you know, you bring up a fascinating point, Lou, because the, the famous story, and I've actually seen the letters uh, when I was at 
AF. I worked with Anita McBride, who was the former chief of staff of First Lady Laura Bush and yeah. uh, David Ferriero, the National Archivist, who was a proud Italian-American. And we did an event in the National Archive and we asked them to pull whatever they could on Garibaldi and Lincoln's correspondence. They did. It was really amazing to be in the presence of these letters. Sure. But, you know, ostensibly, as the story goes, Lincoln offers Garibaldi a command right. in the Union forces because he's a he's an international celebrity at this point. You know, Garibaldi fights in Italy in the Roman Republic in 1848 and 49. He fights all over the world in South America. He creates this great myth of the, you know, he's got the red shirt and the poncho. And he's he's like he's like people look at, I think it's safe to say Che Guevara today. This like glorified, yeah. Yeah. Uh, almost deified freedom fighter. Oh, Che Guevara wasn't. No, he wasn't. But I mean, I mean he's on T-shirts. So, yeah, I mean, but it's, if you're it's that, it's that type of image, though. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's, it's a lot of myth right. that goes into the man at that point. So I think Lincoln, my guess is probably thought what better than this great celebrity for freedom to be tied to our cause. Right. Because like you said, Lincoln was not necessarily gung ho about emancipation early on. And he writes Garibaldi with this offer. And some people say Garibaldi turns him down because he feels he needs to see Italian uh, unification through to fruition. That's probably not really the case. Some people say he will turn him down unless he's given full command of the Union forces. Yeah, All, right, right. Uh, also, right. probably a little bit of um, historical mythmaking. But we know that he does correspond with Lincoln with the request that He'll only come over if the president makes emancipation his stated goal, which politically Lincoln feels he can't. So it is really interesting in contrast. You know, Garibaldi was clearly uh, an emancipationist and uh, it was a big part of his personality uh, around this war. But it is interesting to think that then he decides to, you know, in some way, for whatever this little contribution of soldiers is worth, even if they think it's a lost cause, to support the Confederacy, right? So it's it's very, very contrary to the myth of Garibaldi that's grown up around him in these years later. But maybe he was more of a pragmatist or maybe he was more partisan towards his friends like Wheat. I don't really, I don't think any of us could ever know what goes on in his head, but it's a kind of sore thumb that sticks out that you point out, Lou, that uh, this guy who was all about the end of slavery decides to send forces to fight ostensibly against it. So uh, it really is a unique period in Italian-American history. Well, there's there's also the question that the United States, uh, not long before this, had actually sent arms to Garibaldi's forces when they were attacking Sicily, okay? Uh, the United States was one of the countries that in some measure, more than anybody, the British, but in some small measure, um, sent a little bit of military help. Okay, so there's uh, there's there's a lot of complexity here, and there's a lot of information that's probably been lost or perhaps was never reported that clearly to begin with. You know, um, also Garibaldi um, in the next few years after this would be marginalized in Italy. Uh, he, uh, you know, Cavour and some of these other people would basically set him aside. Uh, so there, there's there's a lot more a lot more than people are generally told. I, I think my point is that. Um, when you look at this kind of thing, uh, in some cases, uh, okay, obviously, you know, obviously, Joe, you know, it, it, there's there's a family, there's uh, you know, information from the family. It's kind of a family lore, which is very interesting, um, which is also what I have in my family. In fact, in the beginning of the book that I mentioned, I talk about my grandmother setting me straight about Garibaldi because her family, her her grandfather, had been a a royal courier for the House of the Two Sicilies, and she got a very different version of history from her father, who I met. Um, than uh, many other people got. And I think this is also something that I think maybe in some measure sort of has to be addressed a little bit um, in certain quarters because I think Italian-Americans generally have been fed the official line uh, um, about you know, about Garibaldi, for example, and um, about unification. And there's actually a lot more to it than most people um, get, you know. Uh, so, and that's not, I'm not trying to make a blanket criticism of, the Italian-American scholars, the people who study Italian-American history, um, or the organizations and so forth. But there has been a little bit of this. And I think a big reason is because in many families, 
uh, there's not a, a really personal knowledge of a link that's been handed down directly um, from the 1860s and 1870s. Obviously, Joe has that. I have that. You have a, a little bit of it. Okay, but a lot of people just don't have that. So they're, they rely on a book probably written in English about, let's say, you know, like some of Dennis Mack Smith's books and so forth um, about the unification, uh, which just don't necessarily give you the whole story. And that's, in fact, that's the reason I wrote my last book. So that's just something to think about as well. Yeah, it's a very complex. Yeah. So, Joe, you don't know what happened to this great, great uncle of yours. Or maybe great, great uncle. Great, oh, great, great grandfather Pietro mentioned that they got a letter from New Orleans. And then after that, nothing. Wow. So you don't know, was he killed in action? Did he die of some disease? Was he, you know, you have no idea what happened to him. No, sir. Joe, what would it mean if you could piece this together? What would it mean for you and uh, your family and, and your history? Well, you know, I must say it would be pretty cool. <laughs> you know, it would add, to, I mean, that's kind of one of my life projects is to study the oral history of my family. Um, and I thought it was interesting how Lou mentioned that. Yeah, this is the Tuchinardi side from Etri, the Alia side from Calabria. We have totally different oral history stories about unification. So it's just interesting in my personal journey to put it all together and understand the times they all lived. What are the Calabrese family stories around unification? <laughs> so whom I'm actually named after is my great grandfather, Giuseppe Alia. He was born in 1893. And uh, I'll put it this way. He, he did not want to serve in the First World War. <laughs> wow. He traveled all over the world, ended up in Canada, Peru, then eventually the United States. Um, but the that was so that's the narrative we got, the stories we got from him directly to my grandfather. And um, he mentioned stories like he always said, you know, when my grandfather asked him, you know, what did you think of Garibaldi? And Giuseppe wasn't alive for Garibaldi, but the family narrative, you know, this is what his family thought. They said, well, Garibaldi got the foreigners out. That's what Giuseppe said. And as I mentioned, the Tucinardi side took a very different approach. Yeah, it's so interesting. You see, you know, so many different family reactions. We were at the Constantinian investiture this weekend for the Constantinian order, which is obviously attached to the Bourbons of the two Sicilies. And, uh, a gentleman that was being knighted in the Order of Francis I, who's a longtime friend of ours and a great knight, Vinny Gangone, was telling me that when he first learned about these knighthoods, the way he was introduced to them was through the royal orders of the House of Savoy. And he said his dad was still alive at the time. And he said, you know, Dad, uh, a friend of mine has seen my charitable work for the church and my dedication, and he'd like to nominate me to be knighted by the House of Savoy, you know, the kings of Italy. His dad obviously came over from Italy, had lived through the transition from monarchy to republic. And he said his dad, for the first time ever, said to him, you can't be knighted by the House of Savoy. Those are the ones who kicked out the real kings. And Vinny said he'd never learned any of this stuff, obviously, because it doesn't come up. But it became a big kind of passion for him. And then uh, he discovered us. You know, we're not great as a people and sometimes telling the broader stroke history. So it's interesting to see where each family kind of fell. And there's lots of different recallings of these very unique times in Italian history. There's two stories here. There's the story of general consumption of the fact that I, a fact I didn't even know until a couple of years ago. And I'm really into this stuff is the fact that there were uh, veterans of the, of the Bourbon war, wars who'd kind of wind up as POWs because of the concept of brigandage. And they wound up in new Orleans and they found themselves to what degree of willingness only history knows, uh, fighting for the Confederacy. But then you have Joe's family story. They're one story with two different aspects. It's the broader aspect of Southern Italian participation with the Confederacy in the American Civil War. And then there's a family story. And I think our listenership and the, and the people who have interest in these topics it's a they're all different little shiny pieces of glass that build this Italian American mosaic of history. Yeah. And this is one of them, because when I had first spoken to Joe, that, that was my real interest is what happened. What happened to this guy? And we don't know. 
Maybe one day we will. Hopefully we will. Maybe we never will. But what would be good resources? Do you know what resources, Lou? Where, like, where do you start this search? Um, the the military records uh, for this period um, in the two Sicilies are, are not very not very well preserved. I mean, you'd need things from like literally 1860 and 1861. At E3, the vital statistics records uh, will go will start in 1810. Okay, that's that would that's the case of um, the kingdom of the two Sicilies on on the peninsula. It's 1820 in Sicily. Um, so tracing the lineage won't be that difficult. It's a question of finding that other information. I would also wonder if in the United States, it might be interesting to trace some people who have that surname to see if this man had any other descendants or uh, relatives or anybody in the United States that perhaps Joe doesn't know about that, that maybe it would be interesting to track down. What if, what if he had a, uh, you know, whatever, what if he had a son and a grandson, for example, that might, that might have that surname. But we have to find the surname first. That's yeah. so we have to, we have to get E-Tree first right. and find right. the surname. And, and Pat, can you find out if uh, through your digital sources, E-Tree is digitized? Uh, we could try each, uh, a place like E-Tree, it gets complicated because it's changed. I don't want to say borders, but it went from one province to another. And where were you at? You know, what province were you at this point and that point? And, well, yes, I but mean, they'll have the they'll have the Stato Civile things up until like 1860. And then which so, so from the early 1800s until 1860, because it was part of the King of the Two Sicilies. And then it's a question of uh, going into the kingdom after that. So those records should exist. Some of those things have been filmed that uh, you go to like ancestry.com and things like that it's probably easier in the town but uh i'm pretty sure that stuff exists uh, for e-tree that shouldn't be a big problem well hopefully it's been digitized and is available if not then it becomes a matter of getting over there and uh yeah you know i think joe it's safe to say we're on the team and on the task and you know i, gotta, I, I you want a real team you want a real task lou did we just find the topic of your next book yeah no kidding the uh there's two there's two books there's uh there is one that's in the planning stage right now that we can discuss later that talks a little bit about this type of thing but there's the the current book that's coming out in about a month and a half um deals with the kingdom of uh of sicily until 1266 but there's like an appendix in it that talks about the two sicilies being a revival of that um and it actually touches very much on yeah, the the continuity of Southern Italian culture with the languages, the cuisine, all this kind of thing, um, which uh, you don't really hear a lot about. And so that book kind of connects the Middle Ages to uh, to right now. OK, well, I certainly think it would be a great topic for uh, for a standalone book. This is a yeah. or, or as, as you mentioned, even a documentary like uh, like our late Confratello was working on. So more to come on this. And if you have any information out there please do send it our way. It would be great. We can pass it along to Joe and Joe, we're going to do the best we can to help on this one. I really appreciate Appreciate you guys having me on. And uh, it's a lot of fun. going to be a lot of fun too. Yep. We're going to get to the bottom of this. If anybody, if anybody I've ever seen that can do this, it's Pat. I know that Pat, Pat always Pat. gets in at the end. we got more jobs for Pat. That's going <laughs> to be your new t-shirt. More jobs for Pat. More work for Pat, but you're good at this, though. You really and you care and you love our listeners. That's my who've... weakness in life. I care. You do care. You That's really like cares. my Achilles heel. You serve you. you I've seen you solve a lot of Italian-American family mysteries. I've seen a lot of people uh, tears of joy when you give them. Where were you tears of joy? I never saw tears of joy. Oh, come on, Pittsburgh. No, I think the guy said, how did this Looney Tune get in here? He was so happy. He was crying. <laughs> what are you talking about? He was thrilled. Just to rehash he... that story, because I do kind of enjoy it. We walk in to film a greetings episode and there's an Italian bakery. And I would say the gentleman who was the proprietor, who was in his 60s, we begin to chat him up. And um, I ask him where his family's from in Italy. Where's the bakery come from? And he says, well, uh, my grandfather was from Calabria, but I have no idea where. And I've been searching for like 20 years trying to find this. And I said to him, I bet you that Bob, because I'm a Babarom fan. I'm an everything fan. But that's <laughs> I'm like, I bet you that Babarom, I could find that out in two minutes. And you did. I wanted a cake. I didn't even get the Babarom, but that's another story for another day. I got a Fiat <laughs> instead. But um, yeah, I found it in two minutes. He's like, what is this like a setup? How did you do that? And and he was. He was really, he was all teary-eyed and so happy. Yeah, and, it was. We did figure it out. Yeah. His family had been in, um, and I did under two minutes, John, you were there. 
Yeah, you did. I mean, it was so it was so fast that I said to Joe, Joe, we got to get this on camera. By the time he got the camera out and set up, it was over. It was real simple. World War One draft cards. I know, but but you navigate them as long as you have a unique name, and that guy yeah. had a very unique name. Yeah, and but, it's and the winds are blowing in the right direction that day. It's very easy to find. Yeah, it can I mean, be done. It can be done. It, we're, we're going to be on this task, and uh, we're yes, here to sir, help. Johnny boy. Yes, That's right. Sir. Yeah. You always say I'm the general, right? Yes, so sir, Mr. Here's general, the orders. Sir. Yeah. Yes, Thank sir. <laughs> yes. I, I, Captain. <laughs> you're so, you're so such a willing soldier. It's a military theme today. It is a military theme today. Are you court martialed now? Yes, you are. <laughs> no perfect. more Baba Rum for you. <laughs> no more Baba Rum is your court martial. No perfect. more Baba Rum, because I don't, I don't charge money. I charge food. That's true. Favors. Yeah. Yeah. Food. I'm and a favors. good guy to pay off. You are. You're the best genealogist on the planet when it comes to that. Food and favors will get you a lot. It's like a little dog. You know how you train your dogs at home? Just put a little Baba Rome in front of under my nose. <laughs> Here, Patty boy. Come on. Come on. Mm, it smells good. <laughs> yeah. But you do love it. And if you're out there and you have a family mystery that you'd like some help solving, now you know we work for food and favors. Oh, Pat. I know what he's going to say. Don't bother yep. me. I'm at home playing with the baby. Yeah, write us. Write us. Let us know. And uh, we'll do another episode. We'd love to bring these things out there. If you have any information for Joe or on this uh, topic, send it to us. We would love to put it on. And uh, if you have a family mystery of your own, please let us know. Let me just say this. I do complain, but I really do love it. And I complain because I hope you'll feel sorry for me and feed me. <laughs> send me your wine. Send me your cheese. He'll take it all. Take back to the old man a little bit. That's all I want. <laughs> That's true. Money for Morono de Monde. My feast is coming up. Check for that. Yeah, your feast is coming. Tell, tell them the me. date, please, so everybody can do it. Saturday, May 20th. The shakedown messages will come. People were extremely generous last year. They will be thanked, and there'll be more opportunities for philanthropy this year. And if you want to come and just hang out with us, uh, we're going to be there. And uh, I think a lot of the crew is going to be there, a lot of our friends. And uh, it's a great excuse. John's so we're going to have free ice cream. Am I? Is that what I'm doing? Am I it just sounds good. <laughs> I thought I, I can't. John's you know. gonna be making zeppelins. We have the all right behind a, a counter fried oil, fried Perfect. dough oil. I'm good at those kind of tasks. I take that stuff seriously, and we take your family history seriously here. So if you got anything, please let us know. That's our episode this week, Paisani. Put the macaroni on. We're coming home. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Born in Italiano and your life will be great. See that you're born in Italiano.